Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Alice, and I'm one of the members of this church family. And we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible, your tablet, your notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you engage most with today's sermon. And please enjoy our Sunday message. Good morning, everyone. For those of you I have not yet met, maybe you're visiting here this morning. My name is Josiah. I serve as pastor here at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. And a special welcome to you if you are here, perhaps uh, supporting a friend who went through the waters of baptism today. It's a special day, and we hope that you feel that uh, on your first visit here uh, to Oak Ridge. Today we're going to celebrate communion uh, near the end of our time together. So if you have not yet grabbed a package of the emblems that are at the doors at the back, feel free to do that over the next number of minutes uh, as we prepare to do that together. And to ready our hearts for the table today, I want to take us to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm 30. It's interesting, as David prayed earlier, really there is a theme weaving its way through this service, it feels to me at least, and that's one of gratitude, one of thankfulness even in that prayer, in the declarations from the baptismal waters. And that is really what Psalm 30 is all about. It's about thankfulness. It's about gratitude. The Scottish novelist Robert Louis Stevenson of Treasure Island fame, you may have heard of him before, he once said this, The person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. In other words, there's always something for which we can be grateful, even in the darkest of times. And to not, to not realize that, to ignore that fact, to ignore all the things we have to be thankful for in life, is to either knowingly or ignorantly be unconscious. We're just not paying attention, in other words. And we would stop as a church and say, listen, if that is true in general, then certainly it is true within the household of God. If it's true in general that we should always be thankful, certainly for God's people, we should always be thankful. Do we not have a lot to be grateful for as Christians? And we would have to say yes. In fact, as we are here today, as we sit here now, are we not, every single one of us who has trusted in Jesus, are we not 100% forgiven? For every sin before, today, and to come, we are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our sins from us. Thank you, Lord. Are we not kept near the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, every moment of our lives, even though my flesh wants to rebel against the Lord and He keeps me strong? I would say, yes, thank you, Lord. Are we not loved beyond comprehension? We can't even fully wrap our minds around how much our God loves us. Are we not headed toward an everlasting paradise? We would say, yes, 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 yes. Surely Christians can amend that Stevenson quote and say, the people of God who have stopped being thankful have fallen asleep in life. Because we need to be a thankful people. That should characterize us as people who follow Jesus. But let's face it, sometimes we need a reminder. Because the days can get dark. And sometimes we need a model because we forget, in the, that darkness, we forget how. And we forget why to thank God. And as we come to Psalm 30, it gives us both. It gives us a reminder that we need to be a thankful people, but also a model for how and why to thank God as well. Because in this psalm, it's going to talk about what God did for David. And then it's going to talk about 
what David did in response to what God did for him, namely, he was thankful. And then it's going to talk about what David calls all of God's people to do. That is to join him in thanking God. So let me read Psalm 30 for us, and then we'll get into some of the details. This is the word of the Lord as recorded by David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. For God's people, gratitude toward God, it begins by acknowledging, it begins by remembering what God has done for us. And it's a long list. And that's really what this psalm is chiefly about. It's David describing what God did for him. That's most of this psalm. You did this, and then you did this, and then you did this. And it really is for David, right? It's very personal, this psalm. I mean, I count almost 30 uses of first-person pronouns. I, me, my. It's very personal to David. I cried to you, he says. You healed me, O Lord, my God. See, God came through for David personally. I know for a fact that he's come through for us personally, has he not? You and me, he has come through countless ways. That's what David is remembering here. Now we would ask, okay, what exactly did God do for David? Well, the psalm, it starts kind of vague. It says, you God, you have lifted me up. You have not let my enemies rejoice over me. That could mean a number of things, right? Well, it seems at the very least that David has experienced some liberation, some freedom, and some vindication of his reputation that God came through. God lifted, raised David up over his enemies, and he shut their mouths. They were gloating over him. They were scouring at him and, and, and mocking him, and God said, no, 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 you don't do that to my servant. So he stopped them from gloating, vindicated. But as we keep reading, it gets more specific. He says in verse 2, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Okay, so now we've got some details. There's something going on. It was a dire situation, apparently. Something physical, I guess. And God healed him. And then verse 3 adds that it actually might have been fatal. Because it says, Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul, which that word actually just means life. Maybe your translation actually says that. My life, my being, you brought up my soul from Sheol, which is the place of the dead. It's the grave. In other words, God, you saved my life. That's what he's saying. You have saved my life. And then the second half of verse 3 gets even more explicit. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. So this was serious. 
God came through personally for David. That's what God did for David. He provided personal liberation and vindication from his enemies, and God provided him with restoration of his health, I guess, and the preservation of his life. Now, when we drop down to verse 6 for a moment, David gives us a bit of a backstory. He says, here's what actually happened before I needed God's help. And we find out, starting in verse 6, that David kind of caused the whole mess to begin with. It was actually David who sinned, causing this mess, and then he had to call out to God for restoration. Verse 6. He says, Now as for me, this is past tense, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. So here David is looking back through the tunnel of time in his life, and he's remembering a particularly prosperous time in life when things were going pretty well. Maybe his kingdom was plodding along. Maybe his health was on point. Relationships were good. Things were going really, really well. Easy life, comfort, tranquility, everything in place. And looking back now, he admits that 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 affluence, it had gone to his head. It had gone to his head just a little bit. And he bragged to, to himself, maybe to anyone who would listen, I'll never be shaken. I mean, look at this. Look at what I've built. I will never be moved. Nothing is going to knock me out. I haven't made in the shade. Nobody and nothing is taking me down. I am unstoppable. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? Look around my life. In my prosperity, I said, I will never be moved. And here we quickly notice that the focus has turned. It's turned from God to David. He's all of a sudden started talking about himself. I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. It was a time of self-confidence and self-assuredness and self-glorification as David looks back. I, I can do all things, he would say. Now, we're familiar with that language because our world celebrates that attitude, celebrates that, that idea of, of self-made people, right? That, that is lauded as aspirational. We should be those things. Be your own person. You know, be your true self. Love yourself. Listen to yourself. Trust yourself. Follow your heart. Know your truth. It's the self that gets propped up in our culture, and that's the culture we live in now. Well, as most of us know, and David certainly knew, God has a slightly different take on human self-sufficiency and pride. Just a slightly different take. For just one example, Proverbs chapter 3, the, psalm, uh, the, uh, the author says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because you're not as smart as you think you are. That's what God's saying. In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. God has a very different view on self-sufficiency and pride than our world and than David did at this moment. Self-sufficiency, according to God, is a lie. Independence is a declaration of war against the God who sustains us. David forgot that for a moment. He forgot it for just a moment, and drunk with what looked like evidence of his own power, he started to take credit for what actually didn't belong to him. When in reality, look at verse 7. It says, O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You did this. And whatever the mountain is, maybe he's referring to his kingdom or his life or his influence, whatever the case may be, it's clear here that he's recognizing now that God put it in place. And it cannot be moved. God did this. 
It's immovable, and God put it there by his favor and not by David's prowess, not by David's riches, not by David's ingenuity. God put it there, not him. And listen, we need to understand this as well. You know, our bank accounts, our giftedness, our family, our lives, whatever we build, we need to be cautious as God's people not to stand up like David and say, wow, I cannot be moved. Look what I have built. And we need to recognize as God feel, hang on a second, God did that through us. God did that for us. Whatever we have has been a gift from God coming down from the Father of lights. It's from him. David forgot that. God had given David his prosperity. God had given David his kingdom, even his life. And when David forgot that and tried to take credit, not surprisingly, God was not pleased. He says, hang on a second, I did that through you, David. Second half of verse 7. It says, you hid your face. I was dismayed. See, God's working through David, building this life for David, this kingdom through David and for David. And at some point in prosperity, David stands up and he says, you know what, God, I actually don't think I need you anymore. I've got this under control. I don't need you anymore, God. Look what I can do. No one can take me down. And God says to David, really? We'll see. And it says David tur- God turned his face from David, removed his hand of blessing from David, and at the very least let into David's life sickness and let in enemies that he was complaining about earlier. And some of us may say, hang on a second, that sounds so unfair. This good God letting hurtful things into the life of his children And I would say, I totally understand that. Listen, if after the service today, after this meeting, we dismissed and one of my children ran out into 8th line into oncoming traffic, I don't care if I'm going to dislocate his shoulder as I pull him back from traffic. I don't care. That is not in my head. I will hurt him a little bit to save his life. And we need to understand as God's people, sometimes our Heavenly Father will yank us out of the oncoming traffic of our sin. We we forget that sin is, is, is death. It brings separation. It brings devastation. That's all it does. And we wander into that traffic time and time again. And sometimes God reaches in and he yanks us out of the way, causes a little bit of pain to save our lives. That's what he's doing. So I totally understand what's happening here. The author of Hebrews, he points this out also. He's quoting the Old Testament here and he says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So we see in this psalm that God pulled David out of the way of his own pride, allowing hardship enough into his life, whatever it was, health issues apparently, some enemies, he allowed that into David's life to wake him up. To wake him up, back away from his self-sufficiency. And you know what? It worked. It worked as we keep reading. David snapped back in verse 8 to God consciousness. He says, To you, O Lord, I called... And to the Lord I made supplication. Fancy way of saying I called for mercy. I wronged you, God. I tried to take credit for things that you did in my life. You corrected me. And so I called out. I said, Lord, have mercy on me. And what did he say? Verse 9 and 10, tell us what he said. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. In other words, Lord, if this discipline that you have rightly brought into my life, if this discipline should end my life here on earth, it also ends my praise of you here on earth. So leave me alive and I will keep praising you. Leave me alive and I will keep thanking you. Leave me alive, Lord. Notice again here the focus has shifted yet again away from David and back onto where it's supposed to be, back onto God. Your worship, your praise, I will give it all to you, he says. 
So we see here that this is what God did for David. It's just a snapshot of his life, right? It's one happening. This is what God did for David. We have liberation and vindication, restoration, preservation, and he did it all in the face of David's rebellion against him. God showed himself to be a personal and merciful God, but also a God who corrects his people. God restored a wayward child to fellowship through chastisement. This is what God did for David. I don't want to speak for you, but I will ask the question, does any of that sound familiar? Has God done anything for you? Has God done anything for me throughout the years of our lives? Has God ever spared your life? Some of us say, yep. Others say, I'm not sure. The reality is he's probably done it more than we even know, right? Spare our lives, especially in the youth. Goodness. Has God ever healed your body? Has God ever unclouded your mind, delivered you from opposition, or restored your reputation after slander? Has the Lord ever showed you his mercy, his kindness, his power, and his love any time in your life? Let's get more specific. Has God ever provided, guarded, or restored a marriage, your marriage? Has he filled your fridge? Has he clothed your body? Has he sheltered your head? Has God brought you to live in a country, whether by birth or by relocation, where you're free to do this, where you're free to worship, where you're free to speak, where you're free to grow, where you're free to, free to do all of these types of things? Can we not say thank you, Lord, for that? Has he given you family and friends that support you and love you? Has God ever corrected you? Has he ever disciplined you like the loving father he is? Has he ever educated you on the effects of sin by allowing you to experience their consequences? Just for a moment. I won't ask for a show of hands on that one, but mine would be the first up. I'll tell you that much. Has he ever brought you back to himself after straying for a long time? Broken you of your self-sufficiency or reminded you of your need for him and his graciousness and willingness to provide? You say, does Psalm 30 sound familiar at all? As David calls out from his own experience, thank you, God, for all these things that you've done for me. I mean, we could go on all day describing what God has done for us, I'm confident. And I'm certain David could have filled much more than a 12-verse psalm with his examples. God had come through for David time and time and time again. But with what he said here, we need to next notice what David says he'll do because of what God's done. Here's what God's done in my life. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. In verse 1, he starts out right out of the gate. He says, I will extol you, O Lord. To extol means to, to lift high, to praise the name, to brag about. That's what it means. I will brag about you, Lord. I will cherish you. David says, oh, Lord in heaven, I will give you all the credit because, let's face it, you deserve all the credit. Listen, I know there was a time in my life, I remember, when I thought I deserved it, I've been corrected recently, thank you very much, and now I'm here to say that that is not even close to the truth. You deserve all the credit, God. You have done all these things for me. You are merciful and patient and powerful. You sustain me and heal me and vindicate me and love me. You are my God, and I will praise your name. David opens this psalm by telling us what he's going to do because of what God had done in his life. And he closes the psalm the same way, bracketing the entire thing with his intentions. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. He reviews what God has done. You have turned for me, my mourning, into dancing. 
You have loosed my sackcloth, my, my clothing of grief, and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I will give thanks to you forever. In one sense here, David is using all that God has done in his life as fuel, as motivation for worship. And the more he sees, the more he wants to praise God. As one author has said, praise is the rent we owe God. The larger the farm, the greater the rent should be. In other words, the more we see how much he's given us, the more rent we owe God, the more praise we owe God, and the more we want to give him. And in this psalm, David remembers just how much land he has, how much praise he owes God. So it's the fuel. He sees what God has done. He says, therefore, I must praise God. I have so much ammunition. But more than that, David understands that in some ways, he's been delivered by God for the purpose of thanking God. It's a subtle difference, but it's important. That's actually why God delivered him, was for the very purpose to thank God. Again, in the second half of verse 9, he asked these rhetorical questions. Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? The obvious answer is no. It's just dirt on the floor of a tomb. It can't do anything. But there's a promise embedded there, and the promise is this. If you spare my life, I will do what the dust cannot. I will praise your name. And then at the very end, in verse 12, he says, he just reviewed what God had done for him, and he says, that my soul may sing praise. You've done all this so that I will sing praise to your name. See, God not only gave him fuel for praise, he actually delivered him so that he would thank him, so that he would praise God. David was lifted up, as he says in his own words, lifted up so that he could lift up God's name and extol him. He was healed to be God's herald. He was saved to say thank you to God. This is what David says he'll do because of what God has done for him. We need to understand that you and I are cared for by the God of the universe so that we can be beacons of light in this world. That's a purpose. It's one of the reasons he delivers us, so that we can be that for him. We are reconciled to God so that we can be ministers of reconciliation. We are forgiven much so that we can then forgive much. We experience God's grace so that we can be billboards of gratitude to a God who deserves it all. So in Psalm 30 here, David is being reminded of this purpose. To declare with thanksgiving the worthiness of his creator and his God. The one who delivers him, vindicates him, cares for him, and corrects him. This is what David says he'll do. And convinced of that. Maybe afresh at this moment. He's filled with it. As he's convinced of this reality, David then invites others to join him. He says, so come along with me. I've got to praise the Lord, so join me, all of God's people. And right in the center of the psalm, he calls for God's people to join him. Verses 4 and 5, he says, Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. We see the pronoun shift again to the second person, to you. You all, God's people, he says. And David uses the same verbs here that he uses at the end of the psalm. Sing praise and give thanks. David says, I know what I've been delivered from, and I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to sing praise. Then he turns to the congregation and says, join me, won't you? Do the same things I'm doing. Because why? Because what's true of David is true of all of us. It's not unique to David here. God's anger against sin, and he does have anger against sin. Praise God for that. 
His anger against sin, his discipline, and his correction of his people is as brief as it is needed and deserved. But his blessings are forever. They're forever, he says. They, the sting of hardships may last for a moment. Think of that, that shoulder as, as we rank the, wrench the kid out of oncoming traffic. That may last for a moment. But in comparison, the rejoicing in what they produce, that salvation, it's endless. It's enduring. It goes on and on and on. David learned this lesson, maybe the hard way. And that's sometimes the best teacher. He learned this lesson. And, and here, with it fresh in his mind and brimming over with thankfulness, he invited others to join him in grateful praise. And the Holy Spirit, through time and space, reaches out to you and I today and says, join him. Calls to us as well. Do the same thing. It's not just David and him speaking to Israel. It's speaking to us as well as God's people. The people of God who have stopped being thankful have fallen asleep in life. And we want to be a church that's wide awake. We don't want to fall asleep to that. We want to be a church that is wide awake to all the things we have to be grateful for. We do want to be a people in this church who are characterized by all those other good things, grace and truth and love and fellowship and support and all those other things, yes. But we also want to be a people characterized by gratitude. Gratitude to a God who has lavished his favor upon each of us and all of us together in ways that we will probably spend eternity exploring. Oh, and that too. Oh, and that as well. Oh, and that in your life. And on and on it goes. We're to be motivated by gratitude. But we're also to be models of gratitude. You know, calling one another to sing praise and give thanks. And really, we saw two great models of that just earlier today with Melissa and Elijah. They stand in this tank, in the waters of baptism, moved by gratitude for what God has done in their life, right? I've just got to, as awkward as that is, and it is as awkward as it looks, isn't it? To have a bath in public, to go in front of people and do that type of thing, and to speak in public, it's, it's awkward, but they're so motivated by gratitude for what God has given them that they step up and say, I have to. I have to do this. And then as they share their testimony, they're basically saying to all of us, join me, won't you? Remember your baptism. Remember your salvation. Remember what you need. Remember how God delivered you. And they are welcoming us to do exactly. They're basically living out Psalm 30 right before our eyes. We give thanks for all sorts of things in life. We give thanks for food, don't we? We give thanks for friends. We give thanks for our families. We give thanks for a good night's sleep. Sometimes those are hard to come by, right? You wake up in the morning and say, oh, what a mercy. Thank you, God. We give thanks for the recovery from headaches and the flu and all sorts of stuff. We give thanks for a bill that was anticipated, but when it came, it was smaller than we thought it would be. Thank you, Lord, for that mercy. Give thanks for an encouraging word from a coworker. Give thanks for sunshine and seasons. Give thanks for found keys and indoor plumbing. Amen. Thank you very much, Lord. Give thanks for all of these things. He has lavished things upon us. If we stop giving thanks, we've fallen asleep in life, brothers and sisters. Give thanks for the indwelling, sealing, keeping, drawing, convicting, leading, gifting, empowering, and unifying work of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst. Give thanks for that. Give thanks for the power of the gospel that drew us to himself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it draws us to himself and says, I have good news for you. You were estranged from God and Christ laid his life down for your sins. And he offers you eternal life if you believe in him. It draws us to him. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Because if it was up to me, I would still be a rebel off in distant lands in the wilderness, as Melissa reminded us of. 
I'd still be there. Give thanks for the peace that surpasses understanding. Give thanks for comfort in times of crisis, for hope in times of trouble. Give thanks for liberation and for restoration, preservation, vindication, all of it. Give thanks. Give thanks for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Give thanks for the salvation he purchased for us and for the everlasting life he promises to us if we believe in him for it. Give thanks for the incarnation of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the current ministry of Jesus, and the soon return of Jesus. Give thanks for all of that. Do we have all, of, of all people, do we have lots to be thankful for of God's people? Of course we do. This is what David calls God's people to do. Join me, he says, won't you? Melissa and Elijah say, join me, won't you? Give thanks to the Lord. Truly, we are asleep if as God's people we stop being thankful. Now, I want to apply this text together in a couple of ways, right here and now. First, as has been our practice in this series as we go through the Psalms, we want to pray this Psalm, Psalm 30, back to God. The Psalms, as we've acknowledged, are unique in the canon of Scripture, in the Bible, because they are inspired words from God directed back to God. They are songs to God, prayers to God, and we want to pray these words back to him, really expressing our gratitude in some of the same ways that David did. So we're going to apply this text, this thankful heart, in that way in a moment here. But then, second, after we pray, we're going to take communion together. Now, depending on your church background, this meal has a lot of different names, doesn't it? The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the table of the Lord, communion— but in a lot of circles, it's also called the Eucharist. The Eucharist. You've heard that word? That title comes from the Greek word meaning Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. This is a meal of gratitude. We come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We commune with one another as we commune with our God around a table of gratitude for what he has done for us. So we want to pray together, thanking God from the bottom of our heart, and we're going to break bread together, thanking God for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Please bow with me. Psalm 30. Our Heavenly Father, we join with David in praising your holy name today. You've saved us. You've lifted us from the depths. You've vindicated us from opposition. You've healed us, spared us, led us, provided for us, and sustained us, and so much more. You've done all of this for us. You have shown your grace and kindness to each of us in ways and in depths that we will spend eternity uncovering and understanding and celebrating. And so we sing to you. We honor your holy name. Help us by the power of your spirit to stay faithful to you so we can continue to praise you as you deserve. We thank you for your righteous anger against all sin that which brings only devastation and only death. We thank you that you love us enough to correct us, to alert us to our rebellion, and to call us back into sweet fellowship with yourself. We thank you for your infinite wisdom. Give us ears to hear your correctives, eyes to see our errors, and hearts soft to repentance and restoration. We thank you that your anger is momentary and your favor is eternal. We confess that there are days when we sometimes believe we are self-sufficient and that we've built what we now enjoy. And when we lift ourselves up over you, we shouldn't be surprised when you turn away. 
We shouldn't be surprised when we bring calamity into our own lives. And so when that happens, Father, and, and when we reverse course and cry out to you for mercy, we thank you that that's exactly what you give us, that you are full of grace and full of mercy. When we've made poor choices and then seek your face, you've been our helper. Yes, you have turned our sorrows into joy. You have removed the garment of heaviness, that grief, and filled our hearts with laughter and delight and life. And so we will not be silent. We will sing songs of great joy to your holy name. We can't thank you enough, and yet we offer you what we can and call others to do the same. You are our Abba, our Father. We raise our voices to you in great adoration because of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Now, as we take the emblems, let me simply read a few passages of Scripture. And as you hear these very familiar words, allow your heart to be filled afresh with thanksgiving, with gratitude as we hear these words from Luke 23, 1 Peter 2, and 1 Corinthians 11. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. First Peter speaking to Christians. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 
1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writing to the church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. With thankful, thankful hearts, brothers and sisters, let's eat and drink together. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons and other resources, you can visit our website at oakwitchbiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.